already knows what we're feeling. It's just allowing us to process it. And, you know, we even have to talk it out because if we keep it in our thoughts and our mind, we're just going to go crazy replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. And then that conversation is between your thoughts and shaitan, which is just going to discourage you from doing something good. But subhanAllah, when we just say it and talk about it, it's a sense of relief just getting it out of your thoughts and just hearing it. And subhanAllah, it's like just when you're confused about something and you talk about it out loud to yourself, you find yourself having a better solution than just keeping it replaying in your mind, subhanAllah. You know, part of our faith is reflection and just sitting and pondering about the blessings, about things we did good, things we did bad things we did good we should humble ourselves and thank God that he gave us the pathway of doing it and the strength to do it and the knowledge to do it and if there's anything wrong that we shorthanded we should definitely be merciful about it have remorse regret and ask God to strengthen us and protect us from it again death isn't the greatest loss in life it's the spiritual death of our hearts while we are still living. You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter the Podcast, Episode 8 of Season 4. I once heard that we treat death like a mystery, when in fact it's the one experience all of us are guaranteed to share. As human beings living in this dunya, we tend to not see the shape of the life we've lived until we have reached the end of it. SubhanAllah how death is the one thing that simultaneously kills us, but also motivates us to live a very fulfilled life, a life that Allah is pleased with. Through seeking knowledge surrounding this topic, I have read that the acceptance of death is not the same thing as giving up on life. Instead, it allows us to bring meaning to our own lives. But why do we fear it so much? And for me personally, if I can't handle the death of a loved one, how can I ever prepare myself for my own death? In today's episode, I sit down with Lena Talib, a humanitarian, a community leader, and someone who is very active in the civic and social sector. Lena is someone who I have had the pleasure of attending her lectures and someone who gives great advice and insight pertaining to our faith. And so, she was the perfect guest to discuss the topic of the hereafter. She is also someone who performs ghusl at our local masjid, which is the process of washing the bodies of the deceased. I wanted to learn more about how this experience has shaped her connection to Allah and strengthened her in her own faith. How can we be more comfortable with transitioning from this dunya to the hereafter? How can we have the akhirah in our hearts and the dunya in our hands? If the belief in life after death is central to the meaning and purpose of our lives as Muslims, then how can we truly believe in the temporariness of this dunya and the permanence of the hereafter? Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lena. You are somebody that, you know, I've had the privilege of meeting in person. We frequent the same masjid, mashallah. And you are somebody who actually came and spoke in my grandmother's aza. And when I tell you that you allowed us to feel this beautifully calm aura, it really meant the world to me. And I, I quickly thought of you and I was like, I would love to have you on this podcast to discuss like the various aspects of death, from discussing the spiritual death of the heart to what actually happens to us when we are in the grave, when we are experiencing the hereafter and so on and so forth. But but I would love for you to first and foremost introduce yourself inshallah and then we can get right into it. 
Well, assalamu alaikum and hello to everyone who is listening. My name is Lina Talib. I've been working with Zakat Foundation of America for over uh, eight years uh, as a humanitarian, but my main role is really fundraising for our efforts. So we do orphan sponsorship, we do sadaqajari and construction like water wells and masajid and educational centers, um, and we also do emergency relief wherever that's needed around the world. So alhamdulillah, you know, been active in doing that and a lot of community work. Again, mashallah, thank you for all the community work that you do. Honestly, it does not go unnoticed. And of course, it was in those moments when it was my grandmother's Aza that you came and spoke and you just brought such a calm aura, such a calm presence into that room. Again, I really want to thank you for that moment because in that moment before you came and spoke, I was drowning in grief and sadness. And I've, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, just like the passing of my grandmother really just, it hit me hard. You know, it, it was that reality check that, you know, sometimes you don't ask for these reality checks, but they do come. And sometimes it's just so difficult to accept certain things. And it takes me to that thought process of why do we fear death so much? Is it because we don't talk about it often? Is it because we avoid it? Is it because that, you know, in this dunya, we're, we're so distracted that we're also in a way forcefully distracting ourselves because we don't want to think about death. And if I can't even handle the death of a loved one, am I ready to even handle my own death in the sense, am I even prepared for that? From your experience and the conversations that you've had and, and, and for the fact that you work in the masjid, why do you think that some of us have this fear? And before you answer that, it was just so interesting that I came across uh, something that Mufti Mink said. It was in a lecture of his. And he said, you know, we all want paradise. Like there is no one out here that will deny that they want paradise. Of course we want that. But he's like, guess what? In order to receive paradise, in order to experience paradise, we must die. And I know that's so blunt, but that's honestly, that's the truth. It's the inevitable truth that death is going to knock at each and every one of our doors. So again, why is it that we fear death so much? When you look at a baby that's in the womb of, the, uh, of their mother, and they're very comfortable in that womb. All they know is that womb, they eat and they quench their nutrition from there and they don't know anything else. So when we don't know anything else, we're, we're scared of what we don't know. So when the baby is actually pushed through aggressively into this world, this baby starts to cry and doesn't know anything about this world, even though the world, the dunya, is better than the womb. But subhanAllah, as we get older and more acclimated to this world, we tend to feel more comfortable in it, like we once felt comfortable in the womb. Now, the hereafter is another transition. And yes, the more we know about the hereafter, we're going to be a little bit more content with you know, transitioning. It, the more we know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and loving Allah and yearning for Him and seeing Him, we're going to be more content. Not to say that we're not going to dislike leaving our loved ones or our loved ones leaving us. That's across the board a given that we're going to be sad and we're not going to be very comfortable with that transition. As the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, when he used to lose someone he loved, when there was a narration when he lost his son, he said that the eyes will cry, the heart will ache, and we will definitely be saddened by the separation. Because one of the companions seen him crying thinking that he's the Prophet of Allah and he shouldn't be crying. But he said that is mercy. You know, crying is mercy. It's a human emotion. And it's not normal if we don't cry, if we don't feel that sadness. So the one component of the hereafter is, yes, we have to increase in our faith. We have to be in the sense of in our mind that we have the akhirah in our heart and the dunya in our hands. So we love both and we want success in both, but we're not willing to sacrifice the akhirah 
the hereafter for the dunya. So sometimes if you look at it, we're very attached to our things. We're attached to our family, our friends. We're attached to our possessions. And subhanAllah, when we tend to lose them or break them, we get really distraught about it. But in reality, they're all temporary. So when we understand the concept of the dunya being temporary and the hereafter being more permanent, I think with more knowledge and more trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will definitely not necessarily desire the transition, right? But when it comes, we are content and accepting of it when it does. Thank you. That was so beautifully explained. I honestly appreciate the analogy. I think it's also the version of Allah that we believe in. And what I mean by version is like, have you went on this path, on this journey of connecting to Allah in your own way? Because all of us are taught a version of Allah. Sometimes it's fear-based. Sometimes it's more from a, a loving side and whatnot. But it's like, how have you connected to Allah? How have you learned about Allah? And I think, you know, belief in death is central to being a Muslim because we know that the hereafter exists. We know that death is inevitable. So it's part of our core faith that we know that death is coming. How do we prepare ourselves for the hereafter? Because you did touch upon that. And I know like off mic, we talked about the death of our spiritual heart. And I really want to go into that. I think sometimes we kind of, you know, we all have faced a moment in our life where our spiritual heart wasn't where we wanted it to be. And I think during Ramadan, we have such high expectations for our spiritual heart, but how can we strengthen it? And what do we do when we do feel like there is that slow death of our spiritual heart? SubhanAllah, this is a topic that you constantly need to remind yourself of and increase in knowledge of because that's really how the heart grows. So SubhanAllah, it's like thinking about it in baby steps. I like to bring analogies just so people can understand. And the thing is when people, you know, like when you look at a baby, they start to crawl and then they start to fall and get up and then they start to walk a little bit faster and getting more stability. And then they're able to walk and run later on. In the sense of that, we should look at that as our faith. You know, our faith is not going to be where we're running at full speed right away. And we don't want to do that. We want to have a consistent type of stride when we're going towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You did mention how some people come in through fear and some people come in through love. And I'll be honest with you, the best type, and I wish everyone can understand to try to get to, is that you have to have a balance between love and fear. It's kind of like a bird with two wings that one wing is love, one wing is fear, and the head is hope. If you have one of those wings, that bird can't fly. When we're talking about love, we want to love Allah. We want to desire Allah. We want to know Him as our creator, our maker, our shaper. All of the things that we have are from Him. All the opportunities that close are for a reason, right? It's not even to make us suffer or anything. Every door that's closed, God is redirecting us. So we have to be positive in all of the things that happen to us, the good things and the bad things, because there is an ultimate wise plan, a divine plan that sees and hears and knows everything that we don't know. So we have to trust that that's part of faith. So when we love Allah, we love him by his attributes, how kind he is and compassionate he is, how generous he is, how merciful he is. SubhanAllah. And if we really just know a little bit of knowledge of those attributes and how they're shaped in our life and our actions, you will love him more and more and more and more. So the more you know, it's like any human being, the more you know of that person, you have good rapport with that person, the more that love grows. And subhanAllah, we want to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the other wing is fear. And a lot of people don't even like to hear the word fear. They don't want to fear God. They don't think that's right to fear God. 
But in reality, who is the one that's going to hold us accountable? Who is the one that's the most just? And if we're talking about a God that's the most just and the most fair, when we do something wrong, oppressing ourselves or oppressing other people, wouldn't you want him to to hold us accountable to that so we can get our right? And the same as we get our right, others need to get their right. And subhanAllah, we're not on this dunya by ourselves. So there is good and evil. And subhanAllah, when we do good, we should, like we expect a reward when we're doing good, then the, the only thing to expect when we do something wrong is possibly a consequence to that sin or uh, a reprimand for doing that. And sometimes we get reprimanded right away, right? In the dunya, like all of a sudden you get, uh, you do something wrong, all of a sudden something comes up and you hear, you get the consequence right away. And then sometimes we do something wrong and it's concealed. And that's a blessing from God because sometimes like God conceals our faults. But if we keep repeatedly doing those uh, bad things, then yes, we're definitely going to see the consequences of those bad things in this world and the next. So that's why we love Allah because of uh, how amazing he is. But we also fear him out of respect and out of accountability that one day we will have to face those things that we do. Those are the two wings. But guess what the head is? Hope. You know, never giving up hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we're going to be in the balance of these two emotions. We're going to be in the balance of patience and gratitude. But without hope, we would never go back, right? We would never go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the bird without the head is dead. So honestly, without hope, we're going to be dead spiritually. Okay, and that's why we should never discourage people from ever turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are human. We make mistakes. Some are major, some are minor. But as long as we know that we're wrong and we humble ourselves from those mistakes and we try to rectify those mistakes and turning to Allah and repenting to those mistakes, then we should always hope and believe that if we return back to him sincerely, he will forgive us. So that's why the importance of that balance of love and fear and including hope in the equation is going to allow us to survive this world and keep struggling in the good path. Keep on that jihad. That jihad is called the struggle, that internal struggle. And we're all going to have that battle between good and bad. Yes, some naturally people are good. You know, they're calm demeanored. They're nice. They, they keep to themselves. They don't really like to harm anyone or take anything that's not theirs. But then we have the opposite, pushing, pushing, pushing. And they're constantly doing these things. You know, may Allah guide us all. And you have people in between. You have people in between that have that fair share of good and evil. And wallahi, you know, it's Allah who sees everything and knows everything. And we tend to humble ourselves as his servants to uh, seek his guidance and his protection and his mercy throughout this life and in the dunya, in the akhirah, inshallah. Now, as far as the sicknesses of like the heart or, or the death of the heart, we have to nurture the heart and the soul like we nurture our bodies. So exactly how we wake up, we get a cup of water, you know, to hydrate our body. We get a cup of coffee, maybe to energize our body. <laughs> we get food to to also do the same thing to give our body the nutrients it needs. So our body from inter internally can function the way it needs to function. Our brain needs to function the way it functions. Well, like we feed our bodies, you know, with different foods and, and beverages, we have to nurture our soul. And that heart Yes, we look at it as a physical heart that's pumping blood to our organs, but we also need that spiritual heart that can help us with our soul in the sense of intellectually taking care of us. Because like we need food and water, 
we definitely need something to quench our soul. And when you said you had the experience at Taza, the speech that you heard that gave you comfort, which I'm very happy that gave you and other people comfort. But subhanAllah, that wasn't me. That was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I was there physically and I was saying something, but that was God that came and brought me to that place and inspired me to say those very words that brought that comfort to your heart. So subhanAllah, like sometimes things like that happen, a death in our family happens, but then you see that what? You see that sometimes you need that slowdown and stop in our life to really hit the reality of life like that this life is temporary and that the only thing that's guaranteed to every single one of us is death. And subhanAllah, we have to work on our spiritual heart and how do we enhance or enrich that spiritual heart by doing the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do. There's a hadith of Nawawi that talks about a servant, you know, loves me. And I will develop that love towards my servant when they fulfill the obligatory acts. That means what? All the things that God mandates, like praying and fasting Ramadan and paying our zakah and, you know, believing in his oneness, etc., etc., etc. But if my servant uh, wants to grow in love for me and I grow in love for him, is when they even take an additional step with doing the extras, like the nawafil, you know, like praying the sunnah, fasting extra days, you know, giving uh, extra charity, doing the extras, going like above and beyond. And he says, my servant continues to do that until I love him to the point where I will be around him all the time. I will be the eyes which with he sees, the ears that he hears with, the eye, the, the tongue that he speaks with, the hand that he strikes with, and the, the foot that he walks with. So that means God is saying, I will be with that person 24-7 and they will only see, hear, speak and do things that please him because he will guide them throughout that way. And he said, if my servant were to ask of me anything, I will definitely answer him. And as I fear to disappoint him because death is disappointing to us, right? It makes us sad. He said, as I love him so much that I fear to disappoint him. Look at this is God talking that he fears to make us uncomfortable or to disappoint us. But death is haq. That is something that none of us will escape. Even Adam, السلام, our father, even the Rasul, all the blessed messengers, peace and blessings be upon them, all experience death. So we're not going to be exempt from that, subhanAllah. So I would say to prepare yourself for the, you know, to cure yourself and to guide your heart is to definitely, you know, get closer to Allah, get closer to his words by reading and understanding the Quran or the revelation and learning more about the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam and his sunnah through his seerah and trying your best to walk the step towards Allah because when we walk towards Allah, Allah naturally walks to us. If we take a step to him, he takes a step towards us. If we walk to him, he runs to us. So understanding that component that Allah loves us all. He wants us all. He desires us all. And he never hates any of his creation. The only time he has that anger or wrath is with the action that we do. So it's like, say for example, Lena, if I did something wrong, God doesn't uh, stop loving me. No, he hates the act. He doesn't hate me. So he wants me to stop doing the act and he wants me to repent and turn back to him. He does not want me to continue with this evil act because in reality, it doesn't harm him. It harms me and those around me. So subhanAllah, when we understand that when God tells us something, it is strictly for our benefit. We gain 
or we lose if we listen or we don't. He does not gain or lose anything by our guidance or when we turn our backs on him, subhanAllah. So I would say getting closer to Allah is by knowing Allah and walking uh, walking towards him. And definitely he promises that anybody who seeks guidance and walks the path of guidance and asks for guidance, he will definitely guide them. SubhanAllah. I mean to everything that you just said. And I'm so glad that the listeners caught a glimpse of how incredible your lectures are. And this is why people are always just in awe of you when you're speaking, Lena. And I know you said it's Allah speaking through you, SubhanAllah. And it's true. It's like your words are very, very powerful. And I really want to thank you for just sharing all of that. I think sometimes we overthink everything. And I think overthinking leads to this paralyzation, like this paralyzing feeling that you're never going to be good enough for Allah. But yet, like, that's who Allah wants, those who are imperfect. Because the more imperfect you are, the more you're seeking His guidance. Sometimes we overlook these blessings or, or these incredible things that, w- that have been told to us. Like Allah answers every one of your du'as. He answers it in His own way, but He answers every one of your own du'as. He always says yes to them as long as they don't cause you harm or cause harm to others. And subhanAllah, like what more do we want from our Creator like that? That is so merciful, that is so loving, that is always listening to us. It's just we have to speak. We just have to connect. We just have to take time out of our day to disconnect from everything and connect to Him. And I think for me, picking up the Quran has really helped me. I think sometimes like, you know, for a while, like we only opened the Quran during Ramadan. Recently, I just call us, I opened it outside of Ramadan. I was like, you know, what? I'm a bookworm. I read so many books yet this Quran I have yet to like open and, and allow it to be part of my day. And I read somewhere that it's like, you've interacted with everyone and everything today, but have you interacted with the Quran? Have you interacted with Allah? Like the most powerful and most important interaction of your day is with Allah, is with your creator, is with your faith. And the Quran is one way. It's one one medium to be able to connect with Allah, to, to read his words, subhanAllah and I think for me that has really really helped me it's just such an incredible feeling to just kind of linger on your prayer mat as well and just sit there and sometimes words will come out, sometimes tears will come out, and sometimes nothing will come out. But as long as you just sit there, sit there and reflect. And I think that's the thing. Like sometimes, yes, it's unfortunate that it's it's difficult because we're in such a fast-paced world. There's so many deadlines, so many responsibilities, so many stressors. But honestly, I can't stress enough that when I do that, well, it just puts things into perspective. And in a way, I almost feel like I received the relief that I never even asked for. I just sat there and I just sat there just wanting to connect with Allah. And subhanAllah, I just felt like relief washing over me. And I want to quickly share a story. It's more like a like, you know, just a tale, more so to kind of like emphasize a lesson in regards to our faith. So maybe not everybody has heard this. And again, it's just probably just like a story that, you know, was told to us when we were younger to some of us and whatnot. And it was a story of a man who was not following the right path. And he knew this. And so before he passed, he told his family, please burn me to ashes and spread my ashes uh, across the oceans and the seas. Of course, it's Muslim, we don't do this. But this is how much the man feared Allah, that he did not want to reap Allah's wrath for not following the right path. And so, of course, when that happened, Allah gathered all of his ashes, brought him back to life. And the man was like, whoa, like, I mean, of course, this is exactly what he didn't want. And so Allah explained to him, like, just you having the fear of me, I forgive you. And subhanAllah, it's so true what you said that you do need both components of love and fear. And when you love Allah, you in a way also fear him. You fear to anger him and to displease him. SubhanAllah. It does very, very much so, you know, and I'll give you a, a compatibility in a second. But just to go off a little bit what you said, I'm, I'm not familiar with that story, so I don't want to touch on it, but it is a beautiful concept. And to be honest, this is the ideology of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first and foremost. God wants us to recognize him. You know, that's the whole thing. It's about 
us, the servant, recognizing the Lord and being humble and submit humbly to him and not be of those that are arrogant. And usually arrogance is a sickness of the heart that many may possess or carry that have to be mindful of, because this is actually where it gets us to doing wrong to others when we think we're above somebody else. But in reality, it doesn't matter if we're the richest of the rich or the poorest of the poor, we're all going to be buried under the ground and we're all going to be wearing those same clothes. And it's not going to affect. And at that point, you don't know the difference. The only thing that you'll bring with you when you stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are your deeds. That's it. And subhanAllah, when we talk about this, Allah just wants you and me and everybody else to admit who we are and who he is. That he's the strong one and we're weak. That he is the rich one and we're poor. And we can't do anything without his permission, subhanAllah. And also in that component of when you talked about loving Allah is fearing Allah, which is very true. Because I want to bring a comparison here where... Even though I don't like to compare Allah to another human being, but this sometimes needed for us to understand that type of passion or love. Like when we look, think of somebody we love very much, like and I'm talking a lot, you know, like we can't see our life without them. They play a very important role in our life. They may help us, but we may help them independent to us, independent to them. But in reality, that even when we hear their name or when we hear somebody talking about them naturally, our heart smiles, our face smiles. And we love this person so much. Now, with that love, we love to please them as we hate to displease them, you know, with that love component. So when we love them so much, we learn about them. We learn what they like and we try to, you know, provide that for them. Anything they love and they're comfortable with, we like to do it. If we know this thing bothers them, this act bothers them, or this action bothers them or brings them discomfort, we do not do it even if we enjoy doing it, subhanAllah. Hmm. Do you guys notice that? Yeah. So subhanAllah, imagine like when you're talking with Allah, when you're dealing with Allah subhanahu ta'ala, the one that really is not like any human being, has provided you with everything. We are to be grateful for everything that we know externally, but we don't even know what's internal that he takes care of, that we have no idea that he takes care of our functions from the first, the very first moment to the last moment of our day and around the clock until from the day we're created to the day we pass. And subhanAllah, he's still continuing those affairs. He took care of us before and he took care of us in between and he will take care of us after. And subhanAllah, yet, how can we not show gratitude? How can we not love him? You know, and at this, at the end of time, we're going to be categorized as those that are grateful and those that are ungrateful. And we want to be of those that are grateful, the ones that are in that category, that we recognize him, we love him, we appreciate him as we would appreciate any person that comes to give us something or help us with something or provide us with something, subhanAllah. Sometimes we go into a school a teacher educates us about something and we're indebted to that teacher for the rest of our life because we say, oh my God, that coach or that teacher taught me this concept and I've been keeping it all the way through. Now imagine Allah, imagine his platform and what he does for us. So it would be only a shame if we can't recognize those things and recognize how beautiful he is and how loving he is and how caring he is, yet thinking that it's only arrogance of us that we think it's our own doing. It's our own knowledge. It's our own money. It's our own things, our strength. and our. It's not. It's not. He's the one who provides you with that knowledge. He's the one that provides you with that strength. He's the one that provides you with that beauty. He's the one that grants you the tools that you need to succeed or where you're at to succeed and all the good things that you're doing. He's the one that's doing it. SubhanAllah. So it's like, how can we not be humbly submissive to him? 
How can we not recognize that? And then you touched on something earlier that I don't want to forget to mention because it's very important that we understand. You have three enemies. You know, we have three enemies in this world. You have the arch enemy that in the Quran, if you read in the Quran, Allah exposes to us the agenda of Iblis, which is the shaitan, the shaitan. His main thing is to get us and pull us down. He hates Adam and he hated all of his descendants. So he hates me and you and everybody else. And he has one goal. One goal is to get us to where he's going, which he is promised hellfire. So he wants to deceive us. He wants to distract us. He wants us to back away from doing good things. And if we do good things, he wants us to be even arrogant about it, to spoil those good things. He wants us to do evil things and drown in those evil things and not have hope in Allah to return and repent. But he knows something that maybe most of us don't know. When he was shunned for disbelieving and not prostrating to Adam when God commanded him to, he did not turn back to Allah in repentance. He turned back to Allah asking God to give him to the end of time to see how many of us will not be grateful. So he knew that God will listen. He knew that God will answer. And he asked him. And out of arrogance, he didn't repent. He just grew more in sin. So this tells us, that if we're arrogant, we're going to grow in sin. And if we're humble, we will definitely be amongst those people that admit our faults, admit to our mistakes and try to rectify them. And that's the most important things. Like we have to do that. So one is shaitan is our enemy and he tries to build these traps of deception for us to make us feel like we don't have time or we, we should do it later or to delay a good deed, to entice a, an evil deed. And if we ever did something wrong, he wants us to feel that that sorrow of not returning back to God. And if he, if we do something good, he wants us to make it boast about it and be arrogant about it and not admit that that blessing is from God. So subhanAllah, he's one of our main enemies. The second enemy is our own desire, like our own nafs, our own nafs. We battle every day. The Prophet Muhammad he said the hardest, the toughest struggle is the struggle of the nafs. God gave us the skills to succeed. And we know exactly, very clearly, when we're about to take a step towards good or we're about to take a step towards evil. But sometimes we have that battle of give and take, pushing forward and pushing backward. So we have to control our nafs. We have to like discipline our nafs. Like we go to the gym and we discipline ourselves to work out a number of days of the week. We have to discipline and build that strength of the Iman that can help us control our nafs. And the way we can control our nafs is by not introducing everything to it. You know, this is something very important that people don't understand. They think that, oh, I can go and experience this and I want to explore the world and I want to do this, that, and other thing. Explore its beauty, explore its goodness, but don't open your heart to everything. You know, why did they say it was one, I think, I believe it was Imam Al-Ghazali that said, Rahimullah, that said, the eyes and the ears are mirrors for the heart. Whatever you introduce to your heart through the eyes and the ears, you're making your heart adaptive to either loving this thing or hating this thing. And most likely you introduce it to good, you want it to love it. But if you introduce it to something evil, teasing yourself, then you don't know if your heart is going to actually like it or not. You may say, well, I'm just going with my friends to the club scene. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to dance. But if you go to that scene often, you will 
you will, it's not an option at that point. You will eventually drink, you will eventually mix, you will eventually dance, you will eventually lead to other haram because you yourself brought yourself there, subhanAllah. You have to protect yourself. So I don't care if it's a weak iman person, a person that has little faith or a person that has an extreme amount of faith. If you do not guard yourself and keep the, that guard up, you will get jabbed. You will. Okay, it's kind of like you're in a boxing match. You put that guard down, you will definitely get jabbed. So you have to understand that you are vulnerable and you are weak. As a human being, we are weak. So we want that strength. We ask for that strength, but we also guard ourselves from our surroundings to hurt ourselves in that way. So you have shaitan, you have our own nafs, and you have your surroundings. It's our surroundings that really encourage an act or not. And a lot of people don't feel that way, but honestly, friends and who we choose to spend most of our time with, whether they're family or friends or people, if they're good people, believe me, they're going to encourage you to good and they're going to try to protect you from anything evil. Those people are the good and they love you, so they will protect you from it. But there's people that we say we love and they say they love us, but they only introduce us to something wrong. And I'm not saying that we're going to do something extremely wrong. We could be, but we could be in circles of gossip and just slander and just hurting people's reputations. That's toxic for you to your ears to keep hearing that. What happens to your heart at that point? You know, when you're in an environment that they only introduce you to evil acts, like things that you're not allowed to do, you're going to end up doing it or giving in or feeling the pressure. In Arabic, they say a, a phrase that says, sahib sahib. that means a friend is the one that will pull you in any directions, because we tend to love our friends. We tend to, you know, want to please our friends and we we end up doing what they want to do. And they uh, sometimes end up doing what we want to do. So we want to be a good person and we want to be a good, a good light of guidance to people around us. And we want to only, you know, surround ourselves with goodness so we can feel that positive energy of happiness and joy and being optimistic and merciful and all these things. But if we're around the opposite, it's really going to hurt us. It's really going to hurt us. So when you look at all these components we need Allah. So like how you said, we should not be only reading from Quran in Ramadan. These are words, you know, before it actually was compiled into a book, they were the words of Allah and they still remain the words of Allah. And they actually came to the Prophet Muhammad in just direct revelation, whether it was from the angel Jibreel or Allah subhanahu wa directly. And when Aisha anha was asked to explain her husband, the Prophet Muhammad she said his characteristics that his characteristics and mannerisms were the Quran because at that point it was not compiled in a book. He was actually receiving it and learning it implementing it and teaching it to others and subhanAllah this is the concept that we should carry is that not only do we want to read from it and quench our, our thirst from it and get guided from it but we also want to implement it and we also want to teach it within action you know, because subhanAllah, Iman is not just internal and it's not just verbal and it's not just acting with the limbs. You have to have all three actions. So you have to feel it internally. You have to utter it uh, on your tongue and you have to act on it with your limbs. And subhanAllah, we have to embrace it that way sincerely and seeking that guidance from it. Because if we go to it in a way for guidance, Allah will guide us. So there's some people, they just read it. There's only quantity, but not quality. So some people will read it every month. 
But then when you look at their characteristics and their actions, you say, what's wrong with these people? Uh, you know, these people go to the masjid all day and they go to Drus all the time and they read the Quran all the time. Why are they saying that? Why are they doing that? And I'll be honest. There's something missing. There's an ingredient that's missing because we want to make sure that it's connected emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and we act upon it accordingly. And that's why the Prophet Muhammad said, enjoin good and forbid evil, even from your own self. So protect those that you love, even from your own harms, subhanAllah. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of consciousness to realize if you're doing it the right way or not and admitting you're doing it the right way or not and walking that path, subhanAllah. Even when you just sit and reflect, you feel Allah's presence. Even when you sit and you want to pour your heart out to Allah, it doesn't have to be calculated. It doesn't have to be memorized. It doesn't have to do anything like that. Allah already knows what you're feeling. Allah already knows what you're you're thinking. He wants you to just express that in the way you want to express it. And a lot of people don't understand that just talking to God naturally is so important. I'll be honest. A lot of people, they tell me, like, how'd you do this? And how'd you do that? How'd you get so close? And I'll be like, I feel God's presence all the time. And I talk I to know. him in my language. I talk to him everywhere. And I was like, you know, you're going to laugh at me. But <laughs> even as a kid, even as a kid, I used to talk to him everywhere, even in the bathroom. I used to talk to him just telling <laughs> stories. And then I was like, as I got older, I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have been talking no. to him in the bathroom. <laughs> so but you know, that's where I, we, that's where our mental breakdowns happen the most. Also, it's like, ah, oh, too bad I can't do well, it now. <laughs> well, it's a mental breakdown for some people. But to be honest with you, that was my only private place because I was the youngest of eight girls and we were in the house and my, uh, some of my sisters had already gotten married, but we still didn't have eight rooms. So it was just yeah. like no moment of privacy. So subhanAllah, it was just funny. But um, yes. <laughs> you'll notice that when you guys talk normally to Allah, He already knows what we're feeling. It's just allowing us to process it. And, you know, we even have to talk it out, not just keep it here. Because if we keep it in our thoughts and our mind, we're just going to go crazy replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. And then that conversation is between your thoughts and shaitan, which is just going to discourage you from doing something good. But subhanAllah, when we just say it and talk about it, it's a sense of relief just getting it out of your thoughts and just saying it in reality and just hearing it for your brain to process. And subhanAllah, it's like just when you're confused about something and you talk about it out loud to yourself, you find yourself having a better solution than just keeping it replaying in your mind, subhanAllah. So yes, definitely get close to God. Definitely uh, reflect. You know, part of our faith is reflection and just sitting and pondering about the blessings, about things we did good, things we did bad. Things we did good, we should humble ourselves and thank God that he gave us the pathway of doing it and the strength to do it and the knowledge to do it. And if there's anything wrong that we shorthanded, we should definitely be merciful about it, have remorse, regret, and ask God to strengthen us and protect us from it again. I mean, thank you. And honestly, I, I just always feel so fulfilled after just like hearing you speak. And these are all such incredibly important reminders that we do need. And like you said, just connecting with Allah doesn't happen oh, overnight. Yeah. You can build upon this. Don't feel discouraged if you feel like, oh, I don't talk to God often. I only pray and I pray real quick and I just leave my prayer man and then I go about my day. Like it, it takes time. And for me, it took time and it takes practice. So I really want to thank you for that. I want to now move on to 
the part of, you know, speaking about death and hereafter and, and what happens in, in between of us living in this dunya and then, you know, us being buried. There's a lot there. There's a lot to dissect there. There's a lot to delve into. Can you please just discuss your role in the masjid when it pertains to like, you know, washing the deceased? What has that taught you and how has that transformed your, your connection to our faith, your connection to Allah, but also how you view yourself as someone passing in this dunya and realizing like what is yet to come? you know, and what we are about to face one day when we do pass. Okay, so subhanAllah, you know, this is something at a young age I wanted to do. You know, I seen once a, a lecture about it and I was like, you know, that is something I want to do. Now, I know that's weird because some people, they always look at me and they always ask me this question like, you're young, why are you doing this, you know? And they think that this is going to make me feel a different way or think a different way, subhanAllah. But I'll I'll tell you how it makes me feel and why I chose to do it in a little bit. So how I got started was I did see a session. I had the interest in subhanAllah. Uh, I started working with the masjid. That was not part of my role. I, do, I don't get paid for doing that. There was uh, a time where the first person that I actually washed before, you know, even working with the masjid, just volunteering and stuff like that was my aunt. She passed away suddenly and that day was a little tough. I went early because she was really close to me and subhanAllah, they needed help. And they said, would you come in? You know, you're her favorite niece. Would you come in and help us? And I was like, most definitely. And subhanAllah, my mom used to help you know, before with some family overseas, but she was overseas at this time. Uh, she was so happy that I had the courage to go in and help them with, uh, with the washings. So first and foremost, you know, she was the first person and I looked at it like this is a person I know, this is a person I love. I didn't know how else to help and I wanted to help in any way possible. That's my first interaction with washing the deceased. Then a couple of years actually pass and I start working with the masjid and there was a lady that passed away that was very sick and was very uh, private and she knew me and she knew Imam Abdullah, the woman that washes with me. And subhanAllah, her husband, when she passed away, her husband asked the sheikh's wife to have Imam Abdullah and myself come and do the washing because she didn't want anybody else to do the washing. So she was just a woman that was really sick that came into the community and she would pray all the time. And I was always there, Duhur and Aisha, I was always in the masjid. I loved being in the masjid, alhamdulillah. And she wanted, she requested us. So we were just doing our regular daily job. And then they said she passed way and that she wants she wants you guys to do the washing so subhanallah again even after i learned the class with the class imbara the sheikh's wife she also helped with telling us step by step what to do and she was uh, around uh, to make sure no one actually came in to respect the deceased wishes so we did that and then from there it just took on i'll be honest each person that you walk into that room, it's a, a nervous feeling. Also, like every person has that aura, you know, you would say like everybody has a different feel and uh, embrace. Definitely nervous going in, definitely praying that God makes it easy. And sometimes you don't know much about the person you're going into, but you want to have an intention that's sincere, that you do good to everybody and you follow the rules for everybody and you try your best to withhold the trust that you're entrusted with because going into that room you're entrusted with this person's privacy and subhanallah we always 
mention to people when they come into the room with us, which we only allow like family or, you know, if it's a mom or our sisters or daughters to come in the room because we don't want it open for the public. You know, this is not a public watch of washing the deceased. There's many things that are entrusted in that room and we can't go out and talk about it. We can't uh, do wrong by it. SubhanAllah. So yes, it's very rewarding and we encourage families that if their family passes away to have the strength to go in to learn from the experience and to be there for their loved one. But they also have to understand it's a trust and that trust is a serious trust that you're entrusted in, you know, concealing what goes on in that room. One of the reasons I tell you was hard is because among the very first people that I washed was a dear friend of mine that was in my halakha at the time. Uh, she was only 22 years old. Um, she was a graduate from Aqsa school and she went to DePaul and she was graduating from there. So it was really like when I seen her on the table, that was also very hard, very emotional for me. Just to see a very dear friend and a person that I've seen all the time go through something real quick. It wasn't even something that slowly and gradually took her and we seen that. It was like really fast. It was so fast that sometimes you couldn't even believe that happened. But some people ask me, well, you're young. And why are you doing this? You know, go have fun, go enjoy life. Like, why do you want to be surrounded with this type of atmosphere? And I said, because it reminds me of so many things. And to be honest, I could go in the world and I could be uh, deceived and distracted with the dunya. But I actually chose to do this as a volunteer because I wanted to, one, do a service to those that are in this uh, position. Two, I wanted to also do it for me, like for my personal strength and reminder that one day I'm going to be on this table or a family member or a close friend is going to be on this table. And I'll be honest, one of the most important things I've learned from doing this is being grateful. You know, grateful for the time that I have, grateful for the time that I have with my family, my parents, my friends, being grateful for the opportunity to doing something good and trying to stay humble in it. And knowing that at any given time, I can part from this world, whether I'm prepared for it or not, whether I know about it or not. What I mean know about it is that I'm sick and I have a, like a term and it's possible to happen at any time. But I've seen every age on that table. I've seen very, very young children. I've seen teens. I've seen young adults like myself. I've seen people that were older, middle age, elderly. I've seen people that were younger than me and older than me. And it made me feel like, and they died from different things. Some died from illnesses and some died from car accidents. Some just didn't wake up. And subhanAllah, like then there was times where we would wash babies. I used to tell Imam Abdullah, how does it feel to touch a piece of heaven? Wow. Because we don't know with adults, right? We could only uh, just take the testimony of people that they were good and righteous. And we always hope that Allah subhanahu wa showers them with mercy. Mercy, right? But there's no guarantee in that. But with babies, it's like a guarantee. And in the sense of like us touching this baby that's going to enter paradise, you know, and it was like different aspects that really made me enjoy 
doing it not because I enjoy washing dead people. No, the things that I learned from it and the things that helped me grow intellectually, you know, even knowledge wise, what happens to the body as it disintegrates or as, you know, the soul parts from the body, learning that, you know, just the experience of losses and seeing how families mourn and how different people react to sadness or grief and trying to help them uh, in that aspect. You know, there's so much to it. I would say I'm honored that God gave me the strength to do it. I'm honored to be in the position of doing it. And I ask always Allah to make me of those that are sincere and never get used to doing it. Like I want to be fresh every time, to give my best every time and to really seek the benefit of doing such an act and just being there for the families. You know, I find myself all the time, you know, talking to them at the funeral home talking with them at the Azas, talking with them. Even some people, we go to their homes and help them for a certain period of time. It's something that I don't like to see people going through, but it's it's a natural experience that many of us will go through. And it's hard to grieve. It's hard to lose somebody we love. So just learning this, this is why I do it. This is why I wanted to do it. I wanted to constantly remember and to be grateful that I'm going to be here or those that I love are going to be here. And that's it. And then what happens afterwards? You Like you said, you talk about the hereafter. What happens afterwards? So this dunya is temporary and everything in it is temporary. All the good in it is temporary and all the bad in it is temporary. All of our emotions are temporary. Whether we're happy, that happiness ends, you know, has an end. Whether we're sad, that sadness ends. Whether we're upset, you know, that anger ends, subhanAllah. Anything ends. And then you go into more permanent sector. Once the soul is created, the soul does not die. You know, a lot of people talk about death like that's the end. It's not the end. You're just transitioning. That soul is transitioning from one place to another place, subhanAllah. They're beating us to it and we're still behind. It's kind of like taking a train station. People ride the train, people getting off the train. People still didn't get on. So subhanAllah, they're just traveling from one destination to the next. That's why the Prophet Muhammad said, be in this world as if you're a stranger or a traveler. Because a stranger and a traveler doesn't reside. It's different than we're residing. This is not our permanent residence. So we shouldn't reside. We should look at it as a temporary place and everything in it is temporary. And we're going to work towards a more permanent residence, subhanAllah. So the soul is traveling. So this body is technically the vehicle that carried the soul, that body will disintegrate and it'll become nothing. But we're attached to the body. You know, we embrace the body. We love the body. We see the body. We feel the body. We kiss and hug and we feel delighted when we see somebody that we love, subhanAllah. So we're attached to this physical being, yet that being is now still alive, but in a different realm. SubhanAllah. And we can still be connected to that. And, that, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about that point as well. But as far as why I started doing that, this is the reason why. And SubhanAllah, I've not had, you know, in the sense of a bad experience, I've only learned from every experience. And Alhamdulillah, I'm grateful to be in that position. Thank you for such a, a beautiful and inspiring story because, yeah, it's not every day that somebody can have the strength to do that. And for you to take that on, mashallah, is incredible. And I can relate to you, but not the way that what you do, mashallah, because what you do, it takes a lot of strength. But like when I, I've said this before on the podcast, when I go to the cemetery, that's my reality check that I realize like one day that's going to be me. And look at when you even go to the cemetery, you see all these people existed. All these people existed and no longer exist on the dunya, in the dunya, in this world, subhanAllah. So what makes us think like this is something that's going to escape us, that we're going to outlive death? 
or we're going to outsmart death. We're not going to be able to, subhanAllah. We have to understand the reality of things. The Prophet Muhammad, he encouraged visiting the graveyards because not everybody could watch the dead. Like if they have a family member and they experience it, sometimes they might be able to or they might not. But I'll be honest, the way to also remember death is to visit the graveyards, to see the people that have lived before in the past and they now are gone. You know, now they are just a memory. They don't exist anymore. And subhanAllah, this is a harsh reality. You know, right now you have your thing, your room, your 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 clothes, your car, your phone. And then when we leave this world, these are not no longer yours and you're not going to be able to take them and benefit from them in the hereafter, subhanAllah. So like thinking of that kind of puts us in, it plants our feet. You know, it really does plant our feet in understanding that one day we will be gone. It was one of the the companions that added to that is that if you wake up in the morning, don't expect to come back, you know, home. And when you sleep, don't expect to wake. And imagine if we actually lived that way, if we actually lived that way, not out of fear, but out of gratitude that if I woke up, we thank God and we don't expect to come back home to our loved ones, meaning we're going to do everything we can in that time frame without procrastination, which, you know, most of the things are procrastinated. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week or I'll do it next month or I'll start next year. We procrastinate things. And like I said before, that's from the whispers of shaitan. That's the deception of shaitan. He makes us think that we always have tomorrow. We're always going to have the time to get old and, you know, have the opportunity. But subhanAllah, in reality, he's only deceiving us because who are we talking to? Do we think we're talking to somebody else when we say later? We're talking to us. So if we're not going to do it now in our strength and in our health and in our time, that we have now, what makes us think that we're going to do it later? Most of the things that we procrastinate, we don't even get to. Unless you put a plan and you take a step towards it and you keep walking towards that and you struggle, you stand up and you fall and you stand up and you fall, you will not get that done. Don't think that we're talking to a different uh, person or a different being. We're talking to ourselves. So when we're trying to convince ourselves that we can do it later, it's not always a possibility. So understanding, it's just about appreciating your time maximizing on your time and doing what you feel you can do now versus later. Yeah, because I always say, like, I always thought to myself, like, you know, we yearn to know our expiration date. We would love to know the day that was written for us that we were passing away. But yet we live our lives as if we don't have an expiration date. So what difference would it make if we knew when we were going to die or not? We know right now that death is inevitable. And sometimes, and this isn't to shun anybody or make anyone feel like, you know, just, oh, I'm not doing enough. But like, yeah, we still live a life where we act like death is not coming to us. It's never going to come knocking on our door, but it is. And that's why I do go to the cemetery. That's where I do feel the most grounded. It's just like, it reminds me like this is is so temporary. And every time I visit Lena, there's at least 10 more people that have passed away. And I'm just like, it just, it hits me, it hits me. I'm like, you know, I, I was fortunate enough. I was lucky enough that Allah still has a purpose for me, that I'm still in this dunya, that I'm still surrounded by my loved ones, that I'm, I'm blessed in that way. But who's to say that, like you said, I could be departing that cemetery and who knows what would happen next? Who knows if I ever make Very it home? That's why sometimes like, as I grow older, I also understand my mom's anxiety when we would leave the house and she'd call us 24 seven. I understand that because it's like, you realize like you, don't know if your family is going to end up coming home that night. And what a blessing it is to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that your family is safe and sound. Like, honestly, I think we take that for granted. Yes, this dunya is temporary, but like, what else am I doing outside of my good deeds that I can kind of like make space for myself in the hereafter where I can really like, you know, have a beautiful place to lie in in the hereafter. You know, we always build a well for somebody who has passed away. But like, what's stopping us from even investing in a well for ourselves while we're living? What's stopping us from actually donating and saying, I want to donate. I want to put a well even in my name. And that's not 
not being selfish. I guess one thing before we move on to the hereafter, just one more thing about like when you're washing the body and whatnot, what is the state of their body and the location of their soul at this point? So I understand like, yes, now this is a body. It's stripped from your name, your title, your accolades, everything. Now it's just a body. So where is your soul at this point? So the soul actually roams around until the burial. Okay, so once a soul parts the body, yes, there's like that glimpse of going and coming and the angels are usually around and the, the angel of death takes the soul. But it's noted that the soul itself sees those around them. They see those that are washing them. They see those that are praying for them, those that follow their genesis, subhanAllah. And they actually even see and hear the footsteps of their loved ones leaving the, the gravesite. So at that point, that's when the soul comes back for accountability, comes back to its original body for accountability. So that's when the soul comes back to the body and then they are in accountability. So the angels, two angels will come and ask them the questions of who's your Lord, who is your prophet, what is your book, and then actions start taking place. It's a long process. You know, it's not a, it's not a short process, but they say that that hour after the burial, it's good to stay around the grave if you're permitted to. Even if you're around the grave or not, I would say that hour after the burial is to really do hardcore dua, like really just supplicating for the person that passed away. They need Allah's mercy. No matter how good we are, we need Allah's mercy to enter paradise. We need Allah to mend our ways. We need Allah to smooth the process, right? And to make us of those that are successful. So that hour, they say, well, it's more than, it's probably like around an average of an hour because the description was uh, enough time for a person to slaughter a, a sheep or a goat. And it takes about a good butcher uh, about an hour to do. And subhanAllah, it's, this is the duration that you should be like making intense dot. Oh Allah, shower them with mercy. Oh Allah, allow them to answer correctly. Oh Allah, make their hisab easy and make them successful and victorious over it. Oh Allah, widen their grave and make them from Ahl al-Jannah. Things like that. Keep going into God seeking forgiveness for their shortcomings and pardoning them and increasing them in reward and making them have a good akhirah, subhanAllah. But as you asked, they do see and recognize this. Now, one thing I want to clarify, can you cry? You know, a lot of people, the first thing I say, don't cry, don't cry. You're hurting them. You're adabing them. Okay, first off, you can cry. And, you know, there was narrations where the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu wept, you know, where he cried so much that his beard was wet. Okay, so that's a lot of crying. But you don't say, so this is the thing that's not permitted. You don't say things displeasing to Allah or contradicting the qadr. That, oh, we should have did this. Oh, it was this person's fault. Or this, that, another thing. This shouldn't have happened. How did this happen? And regardless, there's an excuse for our brain to process or not. This was the date and the time and the second that God chose to take him. And we cannot change that. Okay. In the sense of crying is not wrong, but being patient and content with the decree of Allah is something that's required. That we're not supposed to disagree with Allah's plan. We're not supposed to say something that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But mourning and grieving and being sad at the loss, this is normal. Now, some people will say, Oh, that person is being punished because you're crying. Okay, first off, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God will punish someone for another person's actions. Only people will be punished based off their actions, not somebody else's actions. When you hear that, it's not that you're punishing them in the sense of adab 
from God, it's hard for you to see somebody mourning you, you know? This is what I mean. So like, say, for example, it was me and my mom is still around and my mom is now crying and feeling vulnerable and weak. And I hate to discomfort my mom. Me as my soul, I would want to wish to come out and just tell her everything is okay. And don't cry. Pray for me. That's it. That person will be saddened to see their family and their loved ones saddened because of their loss. So that's the sad part. But it's true because they witness it. They see it and they feel it, but they can't come and, and embrace you. Like how when I, like my mom is crying when I'm alive, I can embrace her. But in this condition, in this condition, I won't be able to. Right. So that kind of hurts the person that passed away is when they see their family so sad and so distraught, you know, at their loss. But this is natural and this is normal. But this is something they witness. And that's why the connection is that they're sad. Subhanallah. You mentioned like, yeah, making dua for our loved ones. And they say like seeking forgiveness and making dua on behalf of those who pass is the gift, the ultimate gift for the dead. Yes. I mean, after, yes, subhanAllah, the family, once the person passes away or the friends, the best way they can honor that person is by making dua for them, remembering them often in their prayers and giving charity on their behalf. And subhanAllah, when we say the souls connect, is that soul will know when you prayed for them. That soul will know when you gave on their behalf. There was once a narration of a man that was elevated in Jannah and he was actually his position and his rank started getting higher and higher and higher. And he started asking, why is my rank getting higher? And then Allah responded to him, you have righteous children that are praying for you. So they're praying for him and giving on his behalf and they're elevating his status, subhanAllah. If you will, I would like to transition to kind of like what happens in the hereafter with the souls because when a soul passes away, the righteous souls unite. Now, when we say this, it's like when the soul parts from the body, these righteous souls, they know somebody's coming. It's like they know they're like anticipating this coming. And subhanAllah, when they do come, they actually, after the accountability and stuff, and they kind of know like what direction they're going, they're embraced and like kind of overwhelmed with all these souls. Imagine from the beginning of time to the end of time, coming to generation after generation, rushing, surrounding the soul. And they're overwhelming the soul. Like, how are you? How's our family? How's this? How's that? They're like asking so many questions about their loved ones, subhanAllah. But at that level, they actually know a lot more than they would know here in the dunya. So they would know more of their status. So subhanAllah, even the angel that's bringing and escorting this soul will tell them, back off, give this person <laughs> a little room. They just went through death. Like yeah. they just went through this transition from dunya to hereafter, just like give them some space. And they, it was narrated that they will ask even questions like how so-and-so, how is their condition? And that person will respond and say that person is in good stands or that person will say, I don't know, that person died before me, that person passed before me. If they say a person passed before me and that person is not amongst the righteous souls, what does that soul do? They get sad because they now realize that they went to the other side of things. So subhanAllah, like they actually know they remember, they stay connected. They even, there was a narration that once I heard from Umar Suleiman that said they even asked like if so-and-so got married or so-and-so Oh gosh, even after? <laughs> so subhanAllah, like even there, they ask about the well-being of their family and their friends, subhanAllah. Oh. And they actually do that. So subhanAllah, it's just unique 
But we're not going to be alone like how some people think, like you're going to be in this dark grave and you're going to be alone and you're going to be this, that, and thing. Now, what is Hayat al-Barzakh? Hayat al-Barzakh is another transition, but it's attached to the hereafter. So it's more to, connected to the here, the permanent world than the temporary world. Now, Hayat al-Barzakh has its good and has its bad, like dunya, like akhirah. So dunya has good and bad. Hayat al-Barzakh has good and bad, and Hayat al-Akhirah has good and bad. You know, when we talk about paradise and hellfire, we talk about punishment and relief, and we talk about eases and hardships, subhanAllah. So it's just transitioning. So in Hayat al-Barzakh, if we are working hard and we believe in the oneness of God and we attest that testimony to him and we work our efforts to doing good and trying our best to refrain from doing evil, then we know that in Hayat al-Barzakh is not going to be a dark six-foot grave that's tight and restricted. No, for a righteous soul, it's beautiful. It's actually from the gardens of the gardens of paradise. It's wide. It has light. It has good company. You're going to have good food and good drinks to drink. And you're going to connect. You're going to connect. But the way we connect here and socialize here is actually a different room there. But this is how we know that a good righteous soul will be comfortable and content and satisfied. Allah will not make that good righteous soul not be satisfied. But then some people, they like to deny that there's any bad in the grave, like there's no punishment in the grave. In reality, there is where once the Prophet Muhammad he passed two graves and he found that both of them were being punished. And subhanAllah, he told the companions that these two were being punished for minor sin, but he was only saying minor sin to really just boast the sin as it's a major sin because it was a major sin. And subhanAllah, but to us, the human being, we think they're minor sins. And one of them was being punished for gossiping and slandering, like going from one house and transferring talk to another house, transferring talk to another house. And subhanAllah, we find people talk uselessly all the time like that without considering the harms in it to that person or to themselves when they do such a wrong. So gossiping and slander it's a major, uh, major sin. And people just think it's, oh, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. But subhanAllah, we were actually told that somebody's punished in the grave for it. SubhanAllah, I think we, Lena, normalize sins. I think because when we see things so often, and like you said, we're in those environments, we normalize where we think, oh, she's just somebody that gossips, just ignore her. But little do we know, like what that gossip is going to lead dangerous. her to. It's Dude, dangerous. But, but gossip, gossip is actually dangerous for the society. And then it leads to something more, which is slander, just making up stories or falsifying acts of people. And that's very, very dangerous, subhanAllah. And it's toxic, not only for that person, but for all those that are listening and all those that are surrounding it. The second person was being punished because when he utilized the restroom, he didn't cleanse himself properly. So at that time, you know, in the desert lands, he would just probably urinate and it would splash everywhere. And it would come either on his feet or his slippers or his pants or something. And he didn't cleanse himself properly. And this is something, alhamdulillah, maybe in our times a little bit less because we have the tools that we need but we have to keep in mind that we should always stay clean and try to purify ourselves so it doesn't have to be a full-blown shower but every time we go to the restroom we should wash ourselves every time we lose wudu we should renew our wudu it's just to purify our body and to keep it clean and to keep our garments clean so even our undergarments 
our exterior garments, try our best to keeping it clean to the best of our ability. So, but he said minor because majority of people think these two things are minor, not a big deal. I shouldn't have to worry about it. But in reality, he's bringing more direct uh, attention to it and saying, hey, focus, because this is something you can get punished for, subhanAllah. So yes, you can either have from the gardens of paradise where you see all these beautiful things and beautiful smells and beautiful experiences to seeing the opposite the dark, the restricted, the punishment of different things that God could choose to punish us with. And it said that one of the punishments of the grave is to an evil soul is when the grave is like restricting, restricting, restricting. It's not even just that width of three feet anymore. It's restricting to where the bones crumble, like the bones break because of the pressing of the of the body. People don't understand, but that's why it's good to know so you can have that balance of love and desiring that goodness and that fear and staying away from that uh, particular punishment because we don't want to be punished. We don't want anything. We want to be in Jannah. We want to work for Jannah. We want Allah subhanahu wa to love us, to give us that Jannah and steer away from his wrath. We want to steer away from pointing him or disrespecting him or displeasing him. And we definitely don't want, obviously, his punishment. Thank you so much for explaining that, Lena. I guess I have like a few more questions when you're in the grave. So of course, if you're of the righteous people, you're experiencing the beautiful like gardens of the paradise, you're getting like almost like a preview of it. And then if you're non-righteous, you're also getting the preview of what's to come, the unfortunate circumstances and whatnot. So that leads me to believe that we keep all of our senses. So, so would that mean that as a soul, do we still have all of our five senses? I'm not sure if we have those senses in the way we have it now, like, you know, because the soul is not going to be defined like the body, but we will be aware and knowledgeable and knowing and feeling and all that stuff. So the senses are there, but maybe in a different way. And then, okay, as a soul, you're, you're still praying as well, right? Even if you've passed, there's still like prayer times. Because I remember when my mom telling me like, oh, visit your grandmother at this time, not this time, because she might be actually praying. Like, is that true as well? Uh, you know, once we go into, like, say, for example, Jannah, we don't have to worry about these things anymore. We're just going to be content and, and happy. It's those that are not, that weren't praying in the dunya, that they will be praying. The flooring is like hellfire. Okay, so it's more like a punishment for those that didn't pray. Now, for the prayer, it's very important that we pray here. And even if we struggle with the prayer, always struggle. It's better to struggle than not to pray at all. And it's better to always work on trying to perfect that prayer than ignoring the fact that God asked us to pray. Uh, because that's the first action that's going to be held in account. And that action is either going to come with ease and that accountability and God actually plugs and plays and completes that for you because he's seen your efforts and your your actions implemented or it's not going to be counted for you and you're, you're not going to have a hard time. Why? Because they say if that comes with ease, you know, if the first action is good and it comes with ease, the rest of your accountability will come with ease. And if that comes broken or with hardship, then all the other things are going to come with broke, broken or with hardships. So we want our hisab to be easy. We want it to be successful. And you know what? The prayer really does keep us grounded, you know, but I would definitely encourage people to not think so hard about it. Like some people will say, well, I don't know Arabic. I don't know Quran. It's going to be hard for my tongue to really memorize. Think about it this way. If a person that's not Arabic origin and still is guided and learns the Arabic and learns how to pray and learns to be a good Muslim, then we have no excuse. Believe me, when we, when Allah makes something mandated for us, he knows that we can do it. It's just a matter of desiring it, wanting it and working towards it. It doesn't have to be like how we talked about in the beginning of 
of the session where you have to do it just like like that right away. No, take steps. Read from a paper. Don't start all five prayers. Start with one. Then build up to two. Build up to three. Keep struggling and keep working. And you know, the harder it is for you, the more reward you're going to get anyway. So look at that God is fair. He's going to give you the reward that's deserving to you. And if you get anything from this session, I would say, please start praying if you're not praying. And if you are praying, start focusing in your prayer more. Take your time in the steps. If you really want to feel the beauty of the prayer, take your time in the prayer. Speak slowly. Move slowly. Let your bodies rest every movement. And don't be deceived by shaitan into rushing that prayer or delaying that prayer. If you really want to know and learn the fruits of or feel the fruits of that prayer, take your time with it. Everything else can wait. Everything else can wait. And even if you take your time with the prayer, it's not going to take you more than seven to 10 minutes each prayer. It really isn't. So thinking about doesn't God deserve an hour and a half of your time out of 24 hours? Doesn't he deserve only an hour and a half of your time? And believe me, the more you focus on your prayer, the more you're going to love to pray, the more you're going to want that break, that mental break. You're, you're going to want that, you know, relief, you know, to just take a deep breath, do the motions. Well, you got a beautiful therapy session on your prayer rug. Just actually use it that way. And you will see that you will find God with you, surrounding you, helping you along the way. Honestly, it's so true. I think it's like the best forms of just like being able to feel that release and that relief all at once. I really want to thank you, Lena. You answered so many of our questions. And and I think this helps a lot of people. It helps a lot of people put things into perspective and just kind of like motivates us to know that there's always something to improve on. We'll never be perfect Muslims. And that's okay, because at least we have that ability. What a beautiful ability to be able to improve on something. And on our way of improving on this, we're also connecting with Allah. Like that's the best way. Sometimes a reward from a hardship is just to connect with Allah. Like there's probably no other reward linked to this hardship, but the fact that it brought you closer to Allah. And there's no greater reward than that. And sometimes I have to remind myself, I think we always want something. We always want to receive something. But what better way than to connect to Allah and have a closer relationship with Allah? I, I will always choose that over any other other thing in this dunya that's temporary. I think my last question is just like judgment day. And maybe this is like, I should know it or not, but just in case, like when judgment day comes, does that mean that all humans cease to exist? That's it. Like this dunya is done with and now we have transitioned to the other side of this world. So I'm not sure in that sense, but what it, what it is, is you have, everybody will experience two judgment days. One is the, the individual day and one is the main population day. The private one is when we actually pass away. So our individual judgment day is when we die and we're held accountable and asked by these angels what we did, right? And our account is pretty much given to us. And we kind of know where we're going at that point. Then you have the ultimate day of judgment where that's where everybody, you know, be resurrected and standing in this long accountability and then facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's the first one. And then the second one, so those are the two. One is individual, one is a group, general. Day of judgment, there's a lot of things that are told about it, Science, minor science going to it, minor major science coming to it. But I'll be honest and I'll end it with this that the Prophet Muhammad was asking, asked twice about the day of judgment. And the first is one of the companions asked him about the day of judgment and he told him, I know as much as the one that's asking, because he was asking about the day of judgment. So he's pretty much telling him, I don't know, like you don't know. Because the Prophet 
Muhammad was not given that that knowledge. Then the second incident that happened, their companion goes to the Prophet Muhammad and asks again, when is the day of judgment? And he said to him, it's not a concern. You shouldn't concern yourself with the day of judgment. You should concern yourself in the state that you die in. What have you prepared for the day of judgment? So yes, it's important to know and worry about, but also instead of worrying about that time frame, when it could happen in our lifetime or not, eventually, we have to understand what have we prepared for that time? What have we prepared for the day that we die? What have we prepared to add to answer to when we die? And this is more of a concern than any other thing. And, and a lot of people actually like to know dates and stuff, but in reality, it's not going to change who we are and what we're doing. It may change us for a moment or two, a day or two, but then eventually we go to our own ways again and we get into our own routine. So in reality, waking up the heart, being more conscious, and in utilizing each day for what it should be and preparing ourselves and saying, what did I do good that's going to benefit me in the akhirah today? What did I do that may actually put a damper on my on my hisab and holding ourselves accountable every time we go to sleep, reflecting on that day and what we did in the sense of khair. And I'll be honest, it doesn't mean we have to be praying all day or fasting all day and eating all night and doing all these things. Being a good Muslim does not mean you just do these things. Actually, all of the things that we do that we need to do our form of worship if we attest that and intend that to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even when we get up in the morning to go work, that's jihad, that you're doing something to take care of yourself and better yourself and to make money for your family. That is a form of worship, you know, but we want to do it the right way. We want to be employed in the right thing. We don't want to work earn money in the haram way. Even spending time with our family or spending time with our friends is a form of ibadah if we only unite in good and part in good, subhanahu when we shower and beautify ourselves and dress well and perfume ourselves, this is a form of ibadah that we want to always look good and, and feel good and smell good and be comfort to people around us. Like everything we do can be a form of worship. Even the sleep that we sleep can be a form of worship if we end our night in that way. And we like, say, for example, we sleep following the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad where we perform wudu, we say some dhikr and dua, and we recite some verses from the Quran before we sleep and sleep on our right side. That whole time we're sleeping, whether six hours, seven hours, eight hours, even two hours, doesn't matter. That'll be a form of worship that you are being counted for good deeds versus bad. SubhanAllah. So at 24 you could think of all the things that you normally do can be an act of worship if we are uh, you know, attributing it to Allah sincerely, trying our best to pleasing Him and staying away from what displeases Him. SubhanAllah, this is, this is very interesting. So this is something that we encourage everyone to do and understand. So wherever we are, we want to be actually good and uh, surround ourselves with good and doing things that please Allah, not displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thank you so much, Lena. Honestly, you really provided us with so much knowledge and so much information in regards to what happens in, in the hereafter and whatnot. And, you know, I read somewhere that like we fail to realize that the dunya is scarier than the hereafter. It's the dunya that we're trying our best to do our good deeds. And sometimes we lose track of that time and we lose those opportunities. The hereafter is all about accountability. So what did you do in the dunya? Like you said, what are we doing every single day to better our chances in the akhirah to receive those rewards? Before you go, I would love for you to just Shout out any organizations, like you said, that you're working for. I know you're working for Zakat. Any campaigns that people can donate to? And are there ways that people can reach out to you? And where are your lectures housed? I know you probably have lectures out there. Are they on YouTube? Or can people just follow you on social media and they can see it there? 
I work with Zika Foundation of America, so I, I actually deal with their humanitarian efforts, alhamdulillah. And for Ramadan, we definitely need people's help for food packages because that's right now the more priority. In Ramadan, we just want to make sure that the fasting have enough food to break their fast with their families. You know, there's many things that we can do, but in reality, this becomes like the most important because when people are fasting, they're looking forward to breaking their fast. And uh, so our main focus in Ramadan, besides orphan sponsorship and sadaqah jariyah and emergency relief, we consider emergency relief for the needy, for millions of people, is to get them food, a food supply. And uh, subhanAllah, I believe it's $60 a family can help actually feed them for the whole month. And sometimes we look at that, we go and to one restaurant, we pay double that, subhanAllah, for not even one one meal. So I would really encourage if every single person can try their best to donate a food package for our family or take care of a family in Ramadan. If you if your means allows you to do more, go for it. And then we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you and reward you and increase you from it. The way you can go to Zakat Foundation of America is either through the website. So you can go through zakat.org. It's Z. A-K-A-T dot org. And you can actually see all of our initiatives and you'll see probably the first pop-up will be Ramadan and our initiatives in Ramadan. But you can also scroll through the website to kind of see what we do and, and where we do it, alhamdulillah. Also, I'm heavy on Facebook and Instagram and I just started TikTok through some encouragement from some friends because yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure about it. I have a good following on Facebook, so you could find me. My my name is Lena Talib, L-E-N-A. Last name is T-L-E-I-B. And you will find me there and you'll find me on Instagram. And if you can follow me on TikTok, once I have a thousand followers, that's when I can actually start doing live sessions. So I'm planning to do that for TikTok. YouTube, I do also have a YouTube channel, so you can do that. I don't record as often because I'm doing this all on my own and it does take a lot of time. Uh, besides the work that I do with my family and uh, my profession and the community, my time is very limited to that. That is my plan for this coming year to really focus on those initiatives to try to reach out to more people. So I would love for you guys to follow me on all those social media platforms. would really love it and I would love your support. And Definitely, if any specific topic matters come uh, and you want me to, to come up on the podcast again, I would love to do it. But that's pretty much it. And I also have a fundraiser on Facebook as well for Zika's initiatives for Ramadan. So you can go ahead through that as well, that platform as well. As always, thank you so much, Lena, for all the work that you do, for coming onto this podcast, for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your knowledge. I honestly appreciate you because I know you're always super, super busy, mashallah. You're such a pillar in our community. You're always helping somebody, mashallah. Like, honestly, you're always helping somebody. And again, I really want to thank you for your time, for your effort. And I always just find these conversations so fruitful and so helpful. If I feel like it's helping me connect better to my faith, then I also hope for the listeners to feel the same way, inshallah. So once again, thank you so much for all the work that you do, Lena. It's honestly much appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Dunya, for giving me the opportunity. So I'm honored to be here and to share this information. And I hope that it benefited you and it benefited the listeners. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to always guide us, to bless us and protect us and our families. And definitely uh, grant us the ability to see Ramadan, experience Ramadan, reap the rewards of Ramadan. And he makes us of those that are victorious, that he grants us his mercy and cleanses us from our shortcomings uh, in the conclusion of it. Definitely, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. And thank you for the opportunity. Take care of yourselves and all those that are listening. Thank you, Lina. Thank you so much. Wassalam. Wassalam. <laughs>